a sense of trimo. Hello and welcome to episode four of A Sense of Tumour with me, Angela Young. By the time you hear this, I will have finished three weeks of the six-week course of radiotherapy I'm having for the residue of a brain tumour I had removed five years ago. In today's episode, Beam Me Up Scotty, we meet more of the team at the radiotherapy department at Addenbrooke's Hospital, I get a check-in with a consultant, and I have a chat with Nikki Chapman, presenter of Escape to the Country, about our matching meningiomas. They said it was it was pretty large, but then I've had so much correspondence from other people whose whose tumours are much bigger than mine. So I came out thinking I've got a large tumour. I don't think it's large as the sum, but it was sort of pretty good, sort of like golf ball size. I think they oh, said. Snap! Yes, mine too. Is it? Nikki is a big fan of the Brain Tumour Charity, which is supporting this podcast. By now, you will know all about the mask making and the explanation of what it's used for. In this episode, I want to tell you more about the process. So the mask is actually clipped onto the treatment couch and it sounds a bit like Lego bricks clicking together. Every day after it's clipped into place, the staff call out a set of numbers and I wanted to know what they were. Therapeutic radiographer Molly McMullen explained. Um, So we call out numbers which are moves from the reference points that they give you at your CT um, scanning appointment, which are put on in a stable um, place sort of near to the area that we're treating. And then what those moves are is they calculate them during the planning process to move from this stable point to the centre of the field that we're treating, which is our ISO centre. So every day we shift from these points to the ISO centre and we're always just checking that we're in the correct place every day. So now I know. This week, I've kept my eyes open so I could see as well as hear the machine. And it was kind of like a UFO going overhead, slowly humming with a green beam. As it happened, Monday's tune from my 30-day playlist was Mr Blue Sky. And as the machine went over me, we got to the instrumental part, so I felt I was in a scene from a sci-fi movie. like science fiction and the treatment is actually highly specialised and technical. There is a large team of people involved in planning the treatment and I want to introduce you to another member of the team today. Hannah Chantler is a medical physicist and head of treatment planning. I asked her what that involves. Medical physicists work all around the hospital. They work in nuclear medicine, radiation protection, clinical engineering and radiotherapy. Um, So obviously I'm a radiotherapy physicist and uh, my responsibility as a medical physicist in radiotherapy involves um, a mixture of research and clinical work. The main roles include planning patients' individual radiation treatments, uh, managing the quality assurance of equipment, 
and commissioning and implementation of equipment and software. Um, we, we also manage uh, computing, imaging services and brachytherapy services. Um, my main role within uh, our department is within the treatment planning service. And this is where uh, physicists and treatment planners work together to produce patient-specific plans. A treatment plan is created on uh, the 3D CT scan of the patient. And we use some specialist software to optimise the delivery of the high-intensity radiation beams. And we create plans that are designed to target the tumour. Um, because what we're trying to do is damage the DNA of the tumour. But whilst we're targeting this tumour, we're also very aware that we need to minimise the radiation to the surrounding healthy tissues. So um, we make these patient-specific plans that are tailor-made as such, delivering um, radiation to the tumour and minimising radiation to the surrounding healthy tissue. In treatment planning in the last 10 years, um, there's been s- such improvements and advances probably in planning, delivery and imaging techniques that have allowed, allowed us to increase the accuracy of this treatment um, with the introduction of multimodality images such as MRI and PET being used in conjunction with the CT scan. This helps us to see the tumour more easily and therefore we can plan and deliver Um, more accurately to a um, better seen tumour as such. Um, And planning and delivery is now primarily given via complex techniques such as inverse planning and volumetric modulated arc therapy, also known as VMAT. Um, And improvement in treatment planning, uh, in treatment imaging equipment allows this accuracy to continue on into treatment. I asked Hannah what attracted her to the job. I always wanted to use my physics knowledge in my career, but I needed an application for it. Um, And medical physics allows you to know that every part of your job has a direct influence on a patient's treatment. And you always know about the line of sight, which is that there's always a patient at the end of what you're doing. Um, And I think that makes my job really satisfying. So I've managed to take my physics knowledge and put it into an application that leads to a very satisfying job. Hannah Chantler. I had another nine days of treatment and another nine great songs, including You Can Count On Me by Bruno Mars. Great lyrics from a great friend. You can count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. And I know when I need it, I can count on you Like four, three, two, and you'll be there Cause that's what friends are supposed to do, oh yeah I thoroughly recommend the playlist. It is really helping me. After the first two weeks, I had a catch-up with consultant radiologist Sarah Jeffries, who we met in episode one. So um, how have things been so far? The only issue is that I have a slightly sore right ear. In terms of soreness, there's several types of soreness. So um, one is that you can get the internal aspect of the ear by the end of treatment. So sort of, you know, usually about three weeks in, you can get some soreness in um, inside the ear canal because of the 
partly because it's a bit a bit moist in there and there's a bit of air, so you can get a bit of you know sort of skin reaction inside the ear. The the other thing that can, sometimes causes a bit of soreness is that because of where we're treating you, the very tail end of your parotid gland comes up right behind the ear. And um, parotids are very, very sensitive to um, radiotherapy. So it might be that that's just had a little bit of a reaction to the, the radiotherapy. And that can certainly cause a bit of soreness, and particularly when you open your mouth, it can mm. feel a bit kind of tight. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah, I suspect that's what it is, rather than actually kind of direct soreness um, from a skin reaction point of view. No nausea or anything? I sort of feel like uh, occasionally... It may be approaching, and I positively think it away, <laughs> if, if that's possible. I'm not, haven't been sick. I don't feel particularly queasy. I just have moments when I think, am I feeling slightly queasy? Nah, can't be. Too early. No, yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing with that is it's often a bit like, um, it's a bit like morning sickness where you, um, it's a funny sort of thing to clarify, really, but um the things that do help are eating a little bit and often having a dry you know, ginger biscuit or something like that can often take it away. I'm not sure I should tell Sarah this, but my daughter's been sending me a box of cakes every week, which I'm really enjoying when I get home. Maybe I should tell her it's ginger cake? I also forgot to ask Sarah whether I could drink alcohol during treatment. But luckily, I could turn to the Meningioma Support Group on Facebook, a great source of comfort and advice, as well as humour. And one of the members, Greg Buick, came up with the answer. Um, yes, basically, so long as it's in moderation. Um, I had my six-week treatment um, basically coinciding with Six Nations last year. And my wife and I have season tickets for Scotland. Um, and there was a match coming up. And I had to ask, because you can't go to the rugby and not have a drink um and and this lovely nurse blessed them that there were quite a lot of irish nurses so there was a lot of rugby banter um i'm not the biggest fan but i like going to the big matches um and and after i got zapped one of the days i said oh look could i just ask you um i've got this rugby match coming up um normally we would obviously have a drink can I have one? Um, and she just turned around with a smile on her face and said, frankly, I think it's absolutely compulsory. Just don't overdo it. Um, I, what I did find as well, though, um, and yeah, just you know, be, be careful, um, I did find that it went to my head quicker. Oh, just like the radiotherapy then. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Um, so I, I did find that one or two drinks was my maximum because by that point I was just feeling bladdered. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell me, has it got better since the treatment stopped? Um, in terms of alcohol, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Gregor is incredibly cheerful in spite of his tumour being inoperable and him having to face a lot of difficulties. Keep smiling, Gregor. Another meningioma survivor I caught up with this week was Nikki Chapman. Now an ambassador for the Brain Tumour Charity, she was keen to help me raise awareness of how common brain tumours are and how devastating they can be. I asked her what her reaction was when she was diagnosed. 
First of all, getting over the, oh, I don't have a stroke at 52, fine, but you've got a brain tumour, okay, fine, I think, but we don't think it's cancer, but you might lose your sight and you might not be able to speak. So that was my, my uh, I call him Bert. He's behind my left ear. So we're like mirrors, you and I. Oh, my goodness. We're just like mirrors. So mine's behind my left ear. And again, like you, I've got a little bit of Bert left. Mm. Um, the clean version is Bert. The the filthy version is Bert. The and you can guess what the rest of it is. Um, but it, it is a weird thing because they, they did say to me that there could be big ramifications mm. after the surgery. Mm. Um, they didn't know if they could get it all out and they were right. They couldn't because of where it was. It'd be too dangerous to remove all of Bert. So Bert is now with me forever. But it is it is a weird thing. It's a, it's a club that I didn't know I wanted to be in. And if I had, you know, my time again, I'd rather not. Mm. Um, but a friend of mine is is has been very, very ill and he contacted me and he said, Nikki, it's a dark gift. It's a gift that you didn't ask for, but it makes you treasure things afterwards. And I can really understand that. Angela, you and I have this dark gift. We're in a club with thousands and thousands of other people that we didn't know we were going to be in a club with. But we, we all have that bond. We all have that understanding. And at the moment, we've all come through it. We don't know about the future. And I put one foot in front of the other and I don't worry about the future as I don't worry about the past. I'm in the present. Mm. You know, my, I don't know how you deal with it, but my brain tumour is in a filing cabinet and it's in the bottom drawer and he's always going to be there. But I don't need to keep opening that drawer and having a look at him. He's fine where he is. I don't need to, I don't want him to dictate the way I live my life. I don't want to live my life as the woman that has the brain tumour. I want to be me. That was my next question. It's how you, how you were not defined by it because um, I was living in Munich when you were diagnosed and I actually had no idea and I'm really pleased because I, I, I think of Sue Perkins and I think of Martin Kemp and I think, oh, they had brain tumours. And I don't think that about you, even though I now know you, you have. And so I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. You, you, you need to not be defined by it. Yeah, everybody is different, aren't they? Everyone deals with things in different ways. So I don't want to judge anybody, but I have met lots of people that have had life-changing illnesses and it's the first thing they bring up. And it might have been a year, five, ten years ago. They still, they can get mm -hmm. it into a conversation, mm -hmm. they do. And it defines them and that's how they want to live their life and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. I don't want to be that person. No. I want to be, but, but, when you know, when you kindly said to me, you know, would you like to do something on the podcast to help other people? I was like, you know what? Yes, I would actually. Yes, I would, because you know, I, I've got a stat somewhere, and it is horrific. I think brain cancer kills more people under the age of forty in children than any other mm. cancer. Mm. I didn't know that. Did you? I wondered if you'd had a um, any an inappropriate uh, moments of humour <laughs> along the way. Um, I had, I had three weeks from diagnosis to the operation. Hmm. Um, and my surgeon said to me, you know, it'd be quite good if, uh, if you could have a few weeks in between to get yourself ready hmm. mentally for what's going to happen. And I sort of, at the time I was like, no, no, I'd like you to take it out tomorrow if you don't mind. But because it wasn't an emergency, he said, it's good to get your head around it and to sort things out. So I went back to work. I went on radio too. <laughs> and um, I called, I called the head of radio to um, lovely, lovely lady and said, look, I don't quite know what to say, but I'm on next week and the week after. 
I've got a brain tumor. And she was incredible and said, if you want to be on air, that's fine. I'll make sure there's a stand in anything we can do any day. You don't want to turn up. Don't, but if you feel, if you feel comfortable and you want to do it, we would love you to do it. I mean, how is that a supportive? That's, that's I mean, fantastic. that is quite incredible. I, the one time I did laugh was when I came out, when I was um, still in hospital, but I came round because I was hallucinating. And I did like to say to my friends and family, you've got <laughs> teeth coming out of your face, look like Bugs Bunny and everything else. But I certainly was um, a little bit trippy for a few days. But I, I found that I hardly told anybody. I don't know about you, Angela. I hardly told anybody because the people I did tell, mm. my parents were incredible because they're now of an age you know they don't need to hear that their daughter Mm. might not come through this surgery and stuff but they were incredible as was my sister my husband showed me a side to him that I didn't know existed I knew I'd married a a wonderful man um I always call him the hypochondriac because he's always ill but we actually realize I'm the one that's always (laughs) ill not him but he showed such a strength you know one of the first things I said to him was you know I need to have my hair extensions taken out. I need to take my false nails off because I'm going into hospital. Oh, and by the way, darling, we're doing our will. And he said, there's no need. And I went, there's every need. And he said, okay. And, you know, he, the people around you, I think it's a lot harder Mm -hmm. because they don't, they have to show you that they think you're going to be fine. They have to say to you, it's going to be fine. You know, it's just a little rock and we're going to get through this. And we're, and then underneath, they have to deal with everybody else who's ringing up going, is she okay? Mm. How's she coping? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've also, like your husband's got to think, is she really going to come through this? Is she going to be the woman that I married? Or will she change personality, character, which we know can happen? And the doctor in A&E had told me, but I had to go and see my wonderful consultant, uh, David Peterson at, at Charing Cross. And I walked in shaking and sat down and he was as calm as can be. We bought him a coffee beforehand as if it was a bribe to say it's going to be lovely. <laughs> but my husband and I bought him a coffee and sat down with him. And um, and he was very calm. And I'd written down all my questions. If ever, you know, when people are listening to this, if they are going through it, I don't know, but it helps me. I write my questions before I go in. And my husband puts down the answers because mm-hmm. sometimes you're in such a two and eight, you don't remember what they say. Mm-hmm. And um, and we came out and Shaki, my husband, said, you know, God, you're high, Nikki. You're like artificially high. And I said, you have no idea. I said, he's told me that I'm probably going to live, that I might lose the sight in my right eye. And I'm like, but will my left eye be okay? And he went, well, I think so. And I'm like, great, I can see yes, out of one eye. I agree. And you might you might lose your speech. And I said, will it come back? And he said, well, with therapy. And I'm like, well, that's great. And it's amazing when your chips are down, what you'll take. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, and I don't know how you felt, but I said to him, will I change? Will my personality and my character change? And he said, why did you ask? And I said, well, I have heard that when people are very ill, sometimes that happens, especially with um with brain traumas and things. And he said, do you like who you are? And I said, well, I do in a way, and I'm a presenter, so I'd like to not change if you don't mind. And he said, and I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to say this or not, but he said, can't we improve on, we can't improve on perfection then. Well, I concur with the surgeon. Nikki is a charming, warm person and every bit as delightful to talk to in person as she appears on the television. Her major worry was whether her memory would be affected but it became clear soon after surgery that it was working just fine. When the doctor looking after her in recovery asked if there was anything he could do, she reeled off a phone number. Now, who can do that at the best of times? And I said, will you do me a favour? And he said, yes, of course. And I said, will you ring my husband and tell him that I'm OK? 
And he said, well, and I said, have you got your phone on you? And he said, I have. I said, well, this is his number. And I gave him the number. And the phone rang because my husband was like eight floors up from where I was in the operating theatre. And the gentleman said, hello, is that David? Because my husband's name is David. I call him Shaggy. His name is David. He said, yes, it is. He said, oh, I'm with your wife, Nicola. And she says she can see and hear and she's fine. And that was the moment because Shaq realised, because our surname is Shackleton, I call him Shaq or Shaki, that not only could I hear and see, which was the big thing that we were waiting to find out, but I'd also remembered his mobile number, oh. like just after coming out of surgery. And that's the defining moment for me. If ever I think about my tumour, it's not about the diagnosis. It's not about the what could. It was what happened. And that was the most amazing moment for me. And if there is somebody upstairs, and I, I believe in God, I thanked him because, you know, who knows? Luck has to be on your side. Positivity. Mm -hmm. I went into that operating theatre as positive as I possibly could through tears, but really positive. But I came out and I thought as soon as I saw my surgeon, I can see you, I can hear you and I can speak. And I'm like, wow, more than I more than I thought. Yeah, more than I thought. Nikki is a great example of positive thinking. We both think our glass is half full. Now, do you remember Terry, the physics teacher from episode three? He'd got in touch to tell me how he wanted to find out all he could about the machine that treated him and the company that makes it Electa. Well, this week, I organised a surprise for him. Hi, Terry. Uh, my name's Jennifer Anthony. I'm the customer engagement manager at Electa. Oh, right. And uh, I um, heard from Angela that you have a real interest in what we've done and you've done some research and you, you're quite interested in Electa. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I studied one of your machines, AL5, I think, in Addenbrooke's. That's lovely to hear. It's, it's not very often that we get the opportunity to speak to somebody that's had treatment and also has had the, a, a sort of a, a curiosity about what we do. We have um, an executive briefing centre at our Crawley office. Um, and one day when we're able to move about freely, um, uh, I would like to invite you to come down and visit us if you'd like. And we can maybe take you around the facility and show you a little bit of what we do. And we have a manufacturing facility at our campus. And maybe we can take you on a little tour of that and you can see kind of behind the workings and, and kind of walk the manufacturing line and we can show you how a linear accelerator is made if you'd like to do that. Brilliant. Yes, love it. Very much so. And if we can't do that, in between that, we could um, also do this virtually. And I think Angela's talked about us maybe swapping email addresses and we can also do a virtual tour if we can't get you down here so we can physically right. take you on a little tour of our campus and our manufacturing facility and show you around and, and talk you through it that way as well. That's brilliant, really brilliant. I would very much like to um, think about the, the real one. Um, there's no substitute for the real thing. And uh, because I just love production machines, I love factories and things that make things. Um, and it was the way the whole thing worked. I hope Terry can get to meet the staff at Electa very soon. We will get the chance to meet Jennifer properly, as well as two of her colleagues, in episode five of A Sense of Tumour. So don't forget to subscribe. And that brings us to the end of this episode. My thanks as ever to Ben Carver for sound design 
and to the band Feeder for the use of the track Radiation, which was written by Grant Nicholas and produced by Chris Sheldon and Feeder. If you or anyone else you know is going through anything like this and needs help or support, the Brain Tumor Charity is a great place to start. Their website is www.thebraintumorcharity.org.